Hey guys, welcome to the Improvement Podcast, where the mission is to help young men develop their character, identity, and mindset in order to activate their potential and achieve their goals in life. On today's episode, we have on another special guest. His name is Chet W. Sisk, and he is an author and futurist. Thank you for coming to the show, Chet. Thank you, Kamani, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to the young brothers and just to the young men on their journeys uh, forward in life. Hey, my pleasure. I'm glad to connect with you. And so uh, just to give the listeners a little bit more background information about you, uh, could you tell them a little bit more about what you do? Absolutely. Uh, I've written uh, several books about change and transformation. My chief job is to help companies, individuals, and organizations figure out what they're going to do over the next few years. That's a futurist. So some people talk about flying cars and the Jetsons and stuff like that. I would not be that guy. I'm the guy who says, in the next couple of years, these are the things that are going to happen and this is how you will be affected. And here are the opportunities in this moment. And here are the things you need to do in order to leverage those opportunities to become your greatest and, and you know, your fantastic self. So I, it's, it's a real limited field. I try to limit it so that it doesn't get too big or too small, but it concentrates on empowerment uh, and for a transformed kind of future. So I, again, I, I, I deal with the technology too, but I don't spend a lot of time talking about flying cars and such. Gotcha. You said the Jetsons. I'm thinking maybe some of the people listening might not even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great point. That's uh, even before my time. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm dating myself. For those of you who may not know, the Jetsons was a cartoon show back in the 1960s, I believe it was. And I was a kid during that time. And it was really about this uh, family that lived in the future it was really our society's prediction of what life would be like by 2022. We'd have flying cars, we'd have robots that basically addressed our every needs. Uh, we'd go from planet to planet, uh, all of those things. And most of that stuff has not come to pass. Yet. Not even close, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not even close. The closest that I have is that I have a, a Roomba, uh, uh, vacuum cleaner that goes around the house at night so <laughs> but we don't have we're not have the flying cars they're out there but they're not mass produced so yeah we're not close <laughs> i actually wasn't even aware of that you know they, yeah. they had flying cars out there but i mean yeah. we haven't even gotten it to where electric cars are the <laughs> are the norm <laughs> so <laughs> yeah we still got a long ways to go we're, we're a ways out so uh but that was the great hope in the 1960s or in the space age that we would probably be advanced. Uh, I, I dare to say that they probably thought that maybe we would also be past racism and misogyny and all of those other things. But here we are recycling a lot of stuff from like 400 years ago. So it's we're we're we have to break the cycle if we're going to get to the next level. And that's I, I keep saying this because somebody says, oh, you know, we're gradually going to get to this next point as a civilization. And I said, no, it's not going to happen that way. It's going to be quite asymmetrical. In other words, it's not going to happen over a gradual period of time because people are caught into societal cycles. It's going to be a moment. There will be some kind of event. We'll rally around it. And at that moment, we will 
graduate to this next level. And, and, and I don't mean to make that sound mystical, but a lot of things usually happen in a moment as opposed to over a gradual period of time. We're not on track to gradually get there. It has to be asymmetrical. It'll have to be an instant. Hmm. There's yeah. a lot of uh, there's a lot in that that I like to ask about, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. And so just to clarify, so I can make sure I know what I'm asking about. And so when you talk about that instant where things make a change, are you referring to like some of the societal things like what you mentioned before, like racism, misogyny and that sort of thing? Like that's going to change in an instant. That's what you're saying. Yeah. And I don't want to make this sound too ethereal or mystical, but I think what I when I let me drill down on that, there has there has to be a, a come to Jesus moment where the society says, you know what, if we don't do this now, we will collapse under the weight of our foolishness. That's the moment that I'm talking about. And I quite frankly, I kind of think that we're close to that point right now. Uh, um, I say that only because we've tried the gradual way, you know, the great arc of justice will come around. I, God bless Dr. King for saying that, but the truth is that we're not, we're just cycling. We're just going around and around. What you're seeing now is similar to some of the stuff that happened during the post reconstruction period. So we seem to be doing the same thing over and over again. So that's why I'm thinking if we're waiting for that great arc of justice to finally get to an end point, I think we'll be waiting for millennia. But I do believe that there will be a come to Jesus moment where people will stop and go, what the hell are we doing? And then there will be that moment where we'll finally come to our senses and recognize that if we don't work together, we will collapse. So that's, that's my backing. And that's, I'm speaking as a futurist and as an optimist as well. I think that these, the times that we're living in right now create the opportunity for that kind of moment to happen. Okay. And so, okay. And so to, for me to get a better understanding too, and probably the listeners as well, mm -hmm. we talk about one of these, like come to Jesus type moments, like, mm -hmm. are there examples in history that you can think of where like similar things have happened? Like where there was like that defining moment where it made like just some huge change. I guess the first one that came to mind for me, I guess you could say was, was nine 11. I guess you could say that was kind of like a, a come to Jesus moment. So are you saying like something on that type of magnitude or maybe like bigger than that? Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I think that's a great example that you brought up. Uh, that's one that I had in mind that it would be a 9-11 moment where there would be so much collective sharing of an emotion, be it grief, anger, fear, or whatever, that everybody would rally around the moment and say, what else can we do? And then uh, my belief is that wise people will emerge at that time and not guide us on the path of dictatorship or authoritarianism or other forms of madness. They will say, this is the best way for us to do this. And, and quite frankly, we're just more efficient, more effective, more robust, more agile when we work together. So there has to be some people that will arrive at that moment too. Uh, if you you were probably too young maybe to remember, but uh, George Bush was president at that time. And he gave a pretty impassioned speech about, you know, saving the American democracy from terrorists and stuff like that. I, I personally think that he, has a, he was, had a very checkered and troubled presidency, but at that moment he rose to the occasion and 
and articulated something that people could rally around. And people did. So I think there will be something like that. Another thing that I remember a rallying moment was, um, it was my, my folks were telling me about when the United States went to the moon and how the entire like planet kind of rallied around. I hope these guys will land. It launched the space age and everybody was just like about the space and they were praying for the astronauts and all of these things. So it would have to be, like you said, bigger than 9-11, but it's something that people can kind of tangibly touch. They could say, I can see myself in this moment. That's the only thing, but this whole aspect that it's going to happen over a period of time, I just don't see that. Not, the history doesn't, doesn't lean in the direction of the great arc of justice. That's all I can say. Okay. And I can... I can see what you're saying about like the time thing. Like when people say, you know, like over time, like these different issues will eventually get rid of themselves mm-hmm. from like from from like little work that we do on the ground. Right. That's not ever like an idea that I subscribe to. And here's why. And you know, you might be more educated in this stuff than me, since mm-hmm. this is, I guess, kind of along the lines of like the futurist sort of stuff. Yep. But the thing I would think is that due to the fact that you could say racism, misogyny, and all these other different uh, things that people might have in their minds, you know, it's exactly that something that's like in somebody's head. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how exactly could you stop somebody from, yeah. you know, taking whatever information it is that they see and coming up with these, um, kind of with these ideas on their own to be able to, to foster that sort of mindset that, that they take on? How could you stop that? How could you stop a parent that may, you know, have those type of views, passing it to their offspring? And then them carrying that on, I always just thought that, you know, while it may be like less prevalent, I'll, I'd always think that there was never like a way that it could just be eradicated. And so when people would say stuff like that, like when you hear, see like little catchphrases like in racism and this and that, I always just thought that it was ridiculous because it's like we're fighting against an idea, yeah. you could say. Yeah, it's... um you can't legislate these things out of people's yeah uh, like experience. laws and all that you can't pass yeah. a law that's gonna yeah. get rid of racism right so. it, exactly but there can be a moment in which when the moment leads the laws then follow so it's not the other way around it's we'll create a law about again being against racism and then people will follow that uh, people will do what they can to avoid being arrested for sure but the law shouldn't lead. The law should complement the direction of the society or the direction um, like you and your chums. You're, you're out there you're with your crew. When you if you say, hey, man, I'm not I'm not going to drink tonight because uh, it's just that's just me tonight. Um, and only in that moment, that doesn't mean everybody's going to rally around what you're saying, but only in that moment is that idea introduced. And someone, the chances increase that someone else will say, yeah, I'm down with you. Only, but it, so it's led by you. It won't be like you're going, we're going to legislate, don't drink and drive. It takes some courageous moment or person to say, this is what I'm going to do and lead by example. And then other folks will find room to find their own courage inside of that person or inside of that moment to meet the moment. But until then, you can't, you know, 
It's just, it just doesn't, at least let me just say this, that's not an absolute because mm -hmm. there, um, obviously there's some exceptions to the rule that, that have been out there, but I'm looking at things in, in, you know, in aggregate and I'm, I'm just not seeing that. So I'm thinking, honestly, I, I think that climate crisis provides that kind of uh, possibility. I think the combination of climate crisis, the political disruption that we have, there was supposed to be a racial reckoning at, at this particular moment. I'm not sure what happened to that. Um, all of these things are coming together at this particular time, primarily because it's giving us an opportunity to grow the hell up. There's a moment where we get a chance to like, okay, what do we want to be when we grow up? I think it's happening right now. I, but I, I, I don't know if we see it that way, but I, I think it's happening. I think we're seeing it primarily with fear as opposed to courage and vision. And uh, that's what this moment requires. People to really put on their big boy pants and, and their, their big girl uh, skirts and shoes and, and walk this walk and talk it. Um, and, and I think that they'll rise to the occasion. I think that they're just there. They're just, um, it's their time will arrive and then they will be present. From looking at the past ones, I can see what you mean about someone having to have like that courage and it not being something like rooted in fear, kind of like what's mm -hmm. going on now. But one thing yeah. you could say it was a common factor in all those major societal changes, as opposed to like how it just completely changed like people's outlook on life, at least on certain aspects, was that it always took like a president to kind mm -hmm. of step in and take that role. Going back to the example you gave about the space race. Who is that? Mm -hmm. JFK, I think. JFK, yeah, John Kennedy. He was I, one of the people that was really vocal about it. Has quotes, you know, about it that you know you still yeah. see in the history books, and you know him being the figurehead of that, of course, like the representative of the country. Uh, people looking to him and adoring him, it made it even easier for people to kind of rally around what he had to say. And then, like the same thing with Bush too, uh, with yeah. um, something like that happening and him mm -hmm. taking that time to make the most of it and turn it into something positive. Yeah. And so in this next one that you're talking about, I guess, you know, we'd have to have a similar formula. And I think yeah. a really big challenge that would yeah. uh, come up with that is just the fact that it seems like with the past, um, you know, with, with Trump and then even with Biden right now, yeah. there's such high disapproval, you know, of the, the past, you know, these two presidents that we've had in, in office recently to where I think that that's something that could pose a big obstacle in what you're talking about to where you know, there might just not be enough people that like them to be able to really rally around it and make it this uh, this thing that you're talking about. Yeah, I, I love your your grasp of history because, yeah, JFK uh, said we wish to go to the moon. This is back in 1960, right? So my mother's telling me this like, OK, when JFK said that, it was like we all sat around and like, OK, what can I do to contribute to the moon project? This is just ordinary human beings, black folk in the middle of the Midwest talking about how can I contribute to the moon project because it was a rallying point. And then an entire society rallied around the space race. Even in Russia. segregation. like Even in, segrega even yeah. in segregation. That's, that's but, powerful if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the real point, and I, I say this to all the young leaders that are out there listening to this, what Kennedy did was that he didn't say, okay, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. All he did was set the vision. So the key is to make a vision that's bigger, 
better, more profound uh, than, than what we usually do and make it not too big that people can't wrap their arms around. And people will find a way to fill the gap of doing what they have to do to contribute to the effort. So the key is to create a big, bold, powerful vision, not like, okay, we're gonna try to pass legislation so that people will quit spitting in the street. That's not vision, that's management. Mm -hmm. Vision requires you to really go, go above and beyond what you usually would talk about and make it so that people can sit back and see themselves in that vision or at least see them their contribution inside of it. And that's, where I think, the great challenge that we face is that we don't have enough visionaries anymore. We have a, we have a lot of technocrats, people sitting around trying to, um, you know, just get their piece. I'm going to get mine. That becomes, I mean, if there was ever a phrase for the time that we live in, it is, I'm going to get mine. And once you get down to that point, you, 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 you're not only reduce the opportunity for you to become a great person. You just really lower the vibration of everything and everybody around you because it's all about materialism. It's all about something as small as I'm going to get mine. And, and that's what you see with these um, pol political crooks. They're willing to sell their souls to the highest bidder because they're going to get theirs. And you cannot build a community, a society, or a civilization on that low level vibration, that kind of I'm gonna get mine, you know, I hope you get yours uh, in, in, that, in the realm. It just doesn't work. And, and we're seeing the evidence of it. I mean, mm -hmm. the reality is that we're seeing the evidence of what happens when leadership and leaders vibrate at this low level of, uh, you know, they're not connected. It's all about themselves. It's self-indulgence. It's graft. It's greed. All of those things. So you cannot build on that. So if anybody ever thinks about, I want to become a great leader, the most important things you have to at least ask are, what are my values? And then test those values. Go out and share them with people and see what other, other people think about it. But if you don't have a set of values, and I'm not talking about goals, because a lot of people talk about my goal is to get this car and have this amount of money. That's not, those are not values. Those are just goals. Values are those things that define you above and beyond the things. And so there, that's what lays the foundation for vision. You have to at least have some decent values that bring people in instead of calling them out, uh, that talks about something bigger so that people can see themselves inside of that. But it, it, it starts with values. And I know that people say, oh, I'm, it's not, I'm not into the religious thing. This is not even about the religion that you belong to. Right. It's about how you see yourself in the world, whatever that is. Those are your values. You made some, you made some outstanding points. And I like to touch on some of those. I like to revisit some of them. Absolutely. One of the first things that you mentioned was that um, whenever you get into that mindset of I'm going to get mine, mm -hmm. you said it reduces your uh, I think you said it reduces your potential or I'm, I'm trying to remember how exactly mm -hmm. you phrased yeah. it. It reduces like your, your potential for, for greatness. And I think that's a really great point that you brought up, because 
one thing that I don't think a lot of people consider is this. Anybody that achieved greatness in anything, mm-hmm. I'm talking about literally any avenue, whether it was, uh, you know, corporate, uh, you know, with, with their own business, being an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. uh, athletes and all that, that value that they, that they brought, that greatness that they got, mm-hmm. it really came from how much they affected other people at mm-hmm. the end of the day. And so yes. the thing is, if you're only worried about yourself and doing what's best for you, only offering value to yourself, the impact and the greatness that you can have is just so limited because yes. in order to actually do anything really of substance, it has to impact other people. Here, here's an example, and it might not be a popular one, but you know, it mm-hmm. I think it is a pretty solid example. It proves my point. Look at um look at Jeff Bezos. So people may not like, you know, Amazon business practices personally. I think, you know, especially with the stuff I heard about the tornado and everything and people dying right. from that. That's extremely unethical. Yeah. But one thing that people should consider is this just going off of what I'm saying, making my point. Jeff Bezos, the reason why he's, I guess, second richest person in the world now mm-hmm. is because of all the value that he offers to the what is it, seven and a half billion people that are on the planet. Mm. Look at this, you know, look at the service that he's, that he's offering. It's not just him getting his, mm-hmm. all these people are finding some way to get some value from this service that he created. Right. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. it's how he's able to, to reach his level of greatness. And if he'd only been worrying about himself, that doesn't, it only gets you so far. You have to start to concern yourself with what other people want, what other people need, mm-hmm. if you're going to get to a level like that. And that's what he had to do when it came to his hiring and all that, to when it came to building his business model, what yeah. is it that can serve the customer the best? What can I yeah. do to make this service that I offer that much better for these people that I'm trying to take care of? Yeah. And so yeah. I think that goes back into what you were saying. And then the same thing about uh, that being a need for people in leadership. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great point that, you know, definitely reflects on the climate that we've seen develop now, because one thing going back to those same examples that we gave, Looking at JFK, looking at, I guess you could say Reagan too, because he kind of put this like this vision out there for the American people, right? Yeah, yeah. Looking at Bush with with Mm 9-11, they did something that gave people something to like aspire for and something to have pride in, something to be Mm -hmm. optimistic about, something to look forward to, you could say. And one thing I'll say about like, really like the the past um, few presidents that we've had is that I don't think that vision was ever strong enough or developed enough, or I guess you could say rooted enough in like certain values to where it could be something that the American people as a whole could, could get behind. It was always just going to be Democrats or Republicans, but looking at JFK, looking at Reagan, looking at Bush, Democrat, Republican aside, the majority of people could see that vision that they were building and align Mm -hmm. themselves with it. And that's something that's been missing. And I think it goes back to the other point you made about the values, where if there were strong set values that we saw our leaders presenting and not bending themselves to what they think they're, uh, you know, the people that are going to be representing, you know, might might think is better if they actually had their own values that they are rooted in. Mm -hmm. Then I think that it could solve a lot of that and we could get some of those results that you're talking about in society. Yeah, yeah, that that is the great challenge of the day, isn't it? I, I, let me offer another example um, that I think is closer to my own, and that is LeBron James. 
uh, he said one time, somebody said, yeah, I see you're building a school and sending kids to college and you're, you're housing their parents and all of this. And he said, yeah, because, you know, in, at the end of the day, this is just basketball that I'm doing, but I get a chance to leave a legacy with my, with my community. That's the stuff. That's a different kind of vision because that empowers his basketball, recognizing how much it influenced his uh, the, the community for the positive, obviously. Uh, and, and so I, I, my, my number one concern is to make sure that we don't get caught up into thinking that we have to be a LeBron James or a JFK or someone like that. I, I want to go back to my point about how you're set, your crew are affected by your values. And so when you rise up, chances are either you get kicked out of your crew and that, that it can happen sometimes, or the crew will rise to the occasion to meet you where you're going. And now you have, either way, you're going to find a different kind of world. So for those of you who are like cycling and you're like, man, this has got to get better, it gets better when you get better. And then again, the crew changes or they rise. Well, either way, the crew is gonna change. Either they separate or they rise, but it's because you set the tone. And, and so it doesn't, you don't have to be president in order to do that. It's just you doing your thing on a day-to-day -day basis. And that becomes key. Cause I, I think one of the things I used to really hammer is that when I used to hear people talk about visionaries, they would either talk about a politician or a minister. And I'd say, oh, and that would not include you? That means you're not part of the mix? No, you know, I'm just a working Joe. Well, the working Joe or Jane really are the visionaries. We're the people that set the tone and then the other people build their visions based around the foundation that we set. So I think what we tend to do is discount ourselves from vision. I'm, I'm a big, big advocate about vision parties, getting together and letting people talk about their greatest possible vision of themselves. Because we, well, I mean, where was the last time you remember somebody coming up to you and say, yo, man, uh, what's your vision? You know, what's your five-year vision? It doesn't happen because we're, we've lowered the, the bar to our conversations where we don't make room to talk about who we are in a visionary way. So we don't. So with, I think there's a scripture in the Bible that says, without vision, the people perish. So we're looking around and we're seeing people perish. And it could be because we don't have a big enough vision for ourselves, which causes our crew not to have a big enough vision for themselves, which causes our community not to have a big enough vision for itself, which causes our society to have just the lowest possible vision of itself. And then we face a potential collapse simply because of the fact that we don't have a big enough vision. And, and people would say, well, well, Chet, does that mean we have to all agree upon a vision? I, I'll say this. The most important thing is that we have to at least get to the point of making room in our lives for vision so that we can build some foundation on that. If we don't even have the conversation, think about it. If we're not even having the conversation about something bigger than ourselves, where we're able to serve, as you were mentioning earlier, serving others or providing value to others, uh, then we're already toast. Because now you're talking about just some dystopian movie where everybody's just out for themselves. You're just talking about a warlike, barbarian environment 
where it's every man for himself. And I do mean every man for himself because they ain't talking about women. It's all, it's all this toxic masculinity uh, being rewarded through se separation, segregation. It's just, it's madness. And that's, that's the future that it's possibly that we could face if we don't rise to the occasion. Like I said, I'm calling out particularly those who are watching this and saying, you know, I, I, I want to get out there and I want to champion for something greater, something better. And, but I, you know, there's not a lot of support out there. Well, that's probably true. However, your vision is so important that you can't wait for that support. You're going to have to just go out there and put it out there and, and then you will find your tribe when you put it out there. But if you're keeping it to yourself and you know, you're quiet with yours at a time when we really need you to step up and become your greatest self, we're gonna hold you responsible for that. You have to own that, that greatest aspect of you as well as the worst aspect of you. You gotta own it all, but give that other part, that great part, some room too. We keep this, we squash that down because we're, you know, we're influenced by the low level, the low vibration that seems to be running around. And we, we, we just don't give room to the higher vibration of connectedness, empowerment, vision, uh, new thoughts, new ideas, possibilities, opportunities. We just tend to talk about, you know, what we ain't got and what, what's not happening as opposed to what can I do to contribute to make something happen? So it, it's, I know it's some, for some people it sounds, it sounds like a mind thing, but it's not, it really is about a soul thing, really. Who, who are you in the end? And, and so my, my job really as a futurist is really to create that environment so that people will do that level of work and then step into theirs. Because otherwise we just don't talk about it. And I have a theory about that. And let me just say this real quick. And uh, I'll say that this is, is in direct relationship to the African-American community, that because in, in slavery, we were really, I mean, there was really a, a kind of a crushing of the visionary soul during slavery, where all you were left with is how to survive, right? So you spent all your time in just survival mode, survival, survival, survival. You do that for 400 years, that becomes part of your cultural self. It's all about survival. Then you do get to that conversation about, I'm going to get mine. Because that other part of you, the visionary part, has been put to sleep. It's atrophied, really, because it hasn't been used. And not collectively. So now we get a chance, and I think we have to call upon that, that part that's been asleep, the visionary part, to become great, not just for us, but really for the planet. Because in many ways, you know how we tend to lead with our swag, our style, our cool, and all of those things. We can also lead with vision. We actually have it kind of built in uh, where we have this level of influence in the world, but we, we just kind of sit on it. It's, it's just atrophied. It's just sitting on the side. And we really need to step into this. All, all communities of color that have had that part of them kind of squashed down by saying, ah, it's just barbaric, uh, it's not important. Now is the time to call upon those, those sources and become great because the world needs us to do that. All people, really, 
all of us to become our greatest and highest selves. So there's a lot in this, uh, what you just said. There are like a whole lot of directions we could go in, but uh, <laughs> just a whole bunch of, uh, of info. And like, mm. you know, I was just thinking of like little conversation starters, like in my head, like as you were going through it, but I guess the first one that comes to mind right now, and, you know, this is kind of speaking from my own experience. Yeah. Uh, of course, part of the black community, uh, my hometown, I think is about maybe like 45 or, or 50% black. And I would say a large majority of those black people that, that live in my hometown, you know, may be like on the lower middle class side to like lower okay. class. Yep. yep. And so you could say that uh, the majority of my interactions and like the majority of, um, you know, the experiences, you know, friends that I had that were also black mm-hmm. kind of uh, struggled with, I guess you could say that, that quote unquote stereotypical stuff yep. that, uh, that you hear about and I guess see in the community. And so one thing I know that was a uh, limiting factor for a lot of my friends and even myself, I would say until I was able to get out of my hometown and go to school uh, where the demographics were just completely different, right. I would say is just a lack of exposure. And yeah. so to, to kind of keep touching on that, uh, if you had talked to me when I was uh, 17, 18 mm-hmm. years old, and told me that I'll be doing a podcast, you know, and be doing it for, for a year, I wouldn't believe you. I'd be like a podcast. Actually, I probably wouldn't know what it is at that point. What is a podcast? (laughs) But but, uh, I would have never even thought that that was a possibility, you know, to even be doing this. I would have never thought I'd be working the current job that I'm in. I would never thought that I would be able to develop a skill set to where I could have another stream of income on the side that wasn't going to be, you know, just doing, you know, sales or, or something like that. Sure. And, but the thing is when I got that exposure, right. When I saw other people taking advantage of different opportunities around me. And I noticed that, you know, in this current situation, I'm in, it isn't all that different from theirs. Mm-hmm. That's really opened my eyes to develop this vision that, you know, now that I have today to do what mm-hmm. I do now. And it all really came from that exposure. And so to talk about something else that you mentioned, right where you talked about the people that would see visionaries and they would automatically think pastor, mm-hmm. politician, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, in 2022, anybody can be a visionary. Anybody can have influence just because anybody can start a platform just like that. You know, back in like, you know, the 60s, 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. uh, you had to get on TV. You had to be like some important person. Right. Right. And meanwhile, you know, regular Tom and Joe, you know, that lived in, you know, whatever neighborhood, they're just regular guys, but anybody can start a YouTube channel. Now anybody can get on Twitter, anybody can get on Instagram. So I think that's one big difference, but then going back to, um, to the vision thing. Yeah. A lot of those people may have just not had enough experiences or, um, had enough things test them in different ways to even develop a vision in the first place, because yeah. I used to be in a school of thought where I would think, Oh, uh, you know, there's no reason why these people shouldn't be doing better for themselves that that are in this certain environment. You know, there's so many opportunities, this and that and that. But then when I reflected on my own story and, you know, saw how my, while it might not have been that bad, I still saw that I was having those type of lapses just at a higher level where, yeah. you know, even though I had technically the opportunity to do certain things, just me being ignorant of those opportunities and uh, not being exposed 
to those different avenues made it to where it was something that I never even thought of or, you know, even knew existed. Or if I did, figured that it wasn't for me. And so I think talking about that first group that you mentioned, that's probably a lot of what's going on in that group with those people that maybe don't have the vision. Yeah. And so that's, that's just what I like to add to it. Yeah, yeah. I, which is, you're really making the case for why I, I'm a real advocate for vision parties. Uh, vision parties, let me just make it clear. Uh, some people call it vision board parties. You put together the vision board. Uh, oftentimes when I see that I, I, I go to these, I see young women and middle-aged women, uh, sisters in particular, are doing their thing. But it's like the brothers are like, they're A-W-O-L. Uh, there's nobody there. And it, it, it says to me that we may not believe that we have a vision outside of the, the lockdown space that we have. And that, that's the thing that troubles me the most is that we're not even being exposed to the idea of having a vision. So we just, we get reduced to, I'm gonna get mine. And that's, that's a step above the animal where it's always just about, you know, the acquisition of, of basic resources as opposed to getting to the next place and say, how do I become my greatest self? What does that even look like? How do I even have that conversation? You know, we're, so vision parties at least create the, the space for us to have that. I, I was exposed to my first vision party when I was in college. And I, I thought how cool it was. I mean, I, my folks kind of gave me some fuel to work with. I, I have to give it to them. My, my dad and my mom, they just, they just, and they weren't even hard about it. They weren't like beating, you, beating me over the head, like, you better do this. You're going to college, you're gonna do this. It was, they just led by example. And I said, mm, I like that because that's this, it seems to work. And then when I got to college, all of a sudden you're in this room that this time men would actually go to the vision parties and they would talk about some of their deepest dreams and ideas and concepts. And most of the time when people did bring up those dreams and ideas, they were always something about what they would do for other people. I always thought that that was curious that when people had the room to pursue or talk about or verbalize, vocalize their vision, it was always about what they were going to do for other people. That's interesting. So when they didn't, they usually it became, I'm going to get mine. So my, my theory is that the I'm going to get mine lower level vibration is because of the fact that we don't visualize, we don't dream, we don't daydream. We just you know, we're just trying to get ours from, from place to place. So, so the vision party now becomes not just a, a nice to have, it's mission critical. If we ever hope to become anything greater. And I, again, I wanna say this to the young men who are out there. And I know there are a lot of folk out there cycling. They front like it's, all, it's, it's good, like it's all working for them. But deep down inside, it's like listening to the ghetto boys, you know, they, they, I, my mind playing tricks on me. They're having these kinds of conversations, but there's no place to have them. There's no uh, safe space to have them without either ridicule or someone not even able to hold the space for them. And so we don't visualize. In fact, we even demonize the whole aspect of, of, of having a vision as like, oh, you know, that's just, that's just foolish. And I'm trying to just get mine. So, I, and I keep using that because I heard that before 
over and over where it's just that becomes like the foundation and there's nothing that rises above that. So, so the vision parties become crucial in just creating the space for people to be able to go in and say, well, what are my values? What matters to me? What's important? What do my grandma say to me? Can I remember those things? So I, I'm, I'm really on a mission and I'm working with the, at least in, in this next iteration of the Universal Basic Resources Climate Strong Initiative, we're creating this space for people that just have vision parties that talk about what it is that they seek to do in this life other than just get stuff. I think that'd be incredibly beneficial if that was something that became more common. So that way it could give people that type of exposure to start, yeah. you know, thinking of, you know, ways that they could create more impact and develop a better life for themselves. Yeah. But um, there's really a lot to unpack in this, you know, mm. uh, when you're making your examples and everything and talking about it, I was really thinking about the black community, but I don't want to like just touch on the black community. Cause at the end of the day, you know, this is a podcast for, for everybody. So I'll just speak like in general, because this stuff can, this stuff affects other people too. Yep. And I would say maybe instead of, um, water are different nuances to it that might be more so paralleled with like, I guess the black experience, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of these things are something that people like of all different groups, I think, uh, could uh, suffer from, but this is yep. what I'll say about, um, one of the comments you made. So you mentioned it in the vision parties nowadays, how you see like usually more women, right? Is that what you said? Yeah, absolutely. Not as as many guys. Right. So here's a, here's a theory that I have, because of course I'm not an anthropologist. That's like, those are the people that like study like people in society, right? Okay. Just wanted to make sure I say it the right term. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not an anthropologist, but something I would think that might lead to that being something a lot more common among women is just that, well, of course, ever since uh how do i put this there's been a there's been like a large portion of time it's been a movement that's been ongoing where you know as women start to be you know be treated more equal in mm-hmm. society it's always mm-hmm. been like a, a positive message telling women to you know activate and reach their full potential right that's right. something that's been like a popular message for like the past you know few decades i, I would say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh of women you know getting into like corporate spaces being successful in that yeah. that type of thing it's become i guess you could say not a not a trend but just like a change in in how society is right yeah. and so that's become the norm you could say for women for mm-hmm. all of them like go out and pursue something that's the thing that's pushed that's the thing that's cool right, right. and so with that being said it's not surprising to me that there'll be more women inside of these uh these events mm-hmm. because that's the thing that uh, that's the thing that like they're, I guess, you know, basing their value in now that they're starting getting more opportunities. You know, of course, mm-hmm. I, I would say, you know, my opinion, stuff is, is equal now. But, you know, coming mm-hmm. from like the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and all that stuff mm-hmm. wasn't nearly as equal as it is today. And mm-hmm. so there's definitely like a whole lot of incentive, you know, with law changes and such for uh, women to want to pursue more things since before it was just common for them to stay at home. So I I can definitely see that, you know, being part of that trend for why, but to touch on something that can maybe explain why maybe not as many guys are doing that is because, I mean, there's not really anything like that for guys right now. If you think about it, Uh, while it was, you know, something that was the norm, I guess, back, you know, back then, 
I would say that um, pursuing excellence uh, hasn't really been like a topic that's very popular among like men's content. And I think that uh, part of that could be just based on how we, uh, how we determine our value in society. Yeah. Yeah. And these are my thoughts on that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I, I have to say that what, 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 are, what really has been our greatest challenge is that we bought into toxic masculinity. All, and sometimes we don't even know we bought into it. We objectify women. We don't have deeper relationships. We don't stay connected. All of the stuff that actually used to happen in ancient times whatever we bought into over the past few hundred years is toxic it's madness and it doesn't it doesn't create the room for vulnerability it determines our treatment of women and 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 women uh, have done great work and laid the foundation even in the face of all of the craziness that, ha that happens in society where they connect with each other where they have these kinds of relationships that are fulfilling and that give them space to be human. Our society has said, men don't cry, tough, toughen up, stiff up a lip, do all the stuff you're supposed to do, you're supposed to handle it. And sometimes when you can't, where do you go? Where, where, there's no place, there's no guy out there that's gonna be like holding the space like, yo man, let's talk about it. And I'm, and I'm, being, I'm being general. I'm, I'm not saying, because there are some men, I can truly say some men in my life who have held the space for me in my worst possible iteration. They were like, yeah, I got you. And walked with me through the fire and just said, you know what? It's all good because we will get through this. Men did that as well as the, the women as well. But there were men that did that. But we have drifted so far because of toxic masculinity so far that it shows up in all of our aspects of life, our earning potential, the way that we treat uh, women, the way that we treat ourselves, the way that we treat others, period, uh, all shows up in this toxic brew that we thought was the definition of manhood. And it's just not, it's, it's madness. And it's, it, all you have to do is look around us. I mean, if men are in charge of a whole bunch of stuff, then that means we're responsible for a whole bunch of stuff too. So that means whatever we've been doing to this point sucks and we should be doing something else. And so to me, I think that this moment in time, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, there's a moment in time now for us to at least stop and say, you know, I've been holding on to some, some ideas that are just crazy. And what has it gotten? That's when I wrote a book called Think This, Not That, It's Time to Update Your Conventional Wisdom. It was based around the idea that if you really stopped and think about the stuff that you kind of picked up along the way, you never really checked out, you never vetted, you just kind of picked it up because other men were saying it or other people were saying it, you thought it was true. Now is the time to stop and say, wait a minute, is that stuff true or is it just part of some toxic masculinity that I've been holding on to because nobody's challenged it? I haven't challenged it. My crew don't, doesn't challenge it. So it must be true. And all I'm saying is that uh, just a lot of stuff is just false, bad advice, made up stuff that somebody made up in a corner somewhere. And then we just haven't checked it out. Now is the time though, 
I think we get a chance to check it out and find out what it really means to be a man. What it really means to be a man is not toxic masculinity. It is not that. We've just been told it for so long that we've just never challenged it. And I'm willing to challenge that. And I believe that there are a lot of guys out there right now who are also willing to challenge it. They just, you know, we kind of need permission. We need somebody to support us in that challenge. Otherwise, the toxic crew that we roll with will think of it as being silly. Okay, so I'm going to do my best to, um, to try and make my own connection so I can make sure I'm understanding where you're coming from and let me know if mm -hmm. I'm in line with it, okay? Absolutely. And so when we were talking about we were talking, I guess the topic was men and women and doing the things that you need to do to be successful and to have vision. And we talked about the women joining the vision parties and such and like mm -hmm. progressing and doing well. And then we talked on the other side where, you know, of course, there are men doing it, but it's just maybe not at the rate that you would expect it to be in modern society. And you were saying that a lot of that has to do with toxic masculinity, toxic masculinity, limiting uh, men's potential. And so yes. I'm going to, this is um how I'm interpreting it. And hopefully this is in alignment with what you're saying, or if not, please correct me so I can try and gain some more perspective on what you mean. Mm -hmm. But um, I think maybe what you were saying is that, you know, well, some of the things I guess you could say that are lumped with, with toxic masculinity. Personally, I don't like the term. I just refer to it as like immature masculinity because the thing like is that. men that are mature, they don't tend to base their value and worth on these um, on these things that are unproductive that people right. will lump as toxic masculinity. But I just don't like that word because I think it's overused, you know, on social okay. media, all of that. Just me personally, not saying there's wrong, anything yeah. wrong with you saying it. But yeah, granted, yeah, yeah but I, a, a I lot of a lot of guys will base their worth off of, let's say, you know, their body count, how many women they've had sex with or something like right. that, or exactly. how much money they're making or what type of car right. they're driving or what or you know, the clothes. Yeah. And the thing is, when your worth is based in these materialistic, you know, very surface level things, there's yes. not a whole lot of room for vision, I would no. think, because if the goal is just to make the money, you could actually have like a talent or an affinity for something completely different. But you say, oh, if I'm an investment banker, I'm making 250K, 300K right. a year, you know, something like that. I'm just going to do that. Yeah. And so that could make it to where vision isn't really a, a large priority for you, I would say. And then another thing that just goes along, like being immature in your masculinity is kind of what you hinted at where uh, guys maybe discourage each other, or, like talk each other down. Yes. And that's from feeling that need to build themselves up on somebody else instead of being confident in yourself to like not like, confident enough in yourself to not feel the need to prove yourself at the expense of anybody else. And right. tying that into the success thing, if a guy feels like his friends are going to beat him down or if he feels like, oh, if he shows that vulnerability of needing help and his friends are going to make fun of him, mm -hmm. then he's not going to, you know, bounce ideas off of people. He's not mm -hmm. going to try and collaborate and build and maybe challenge himself and maybe potentially show his ignorance in something mm -hmm. or maybe, uh, I guess, entertain the potential of, of failing at something because it makes him look bad. It puts him a peg down in that immature masculinity hierarchy that he that he might be in with his group of friends and so you know especially if it's the trend among the group you're in to be underachievers and to be that yeah. type of guy that says i could do this if i want it right. that kind of becomes like your norm and that's an easy place to 
to stick in and kind of still yeah. be able to keep that image of yourself intact, protect that ego because you're not, you know, giving an opportunity to go out in the world and get busted. Right. Exactly. No, you nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. Okay. That, I just wanted to make sure because when you were yeah. explaining it, I was think I was trying to think where where is the connection, but I started to kind of maybe mm-hmm. piece a few things together. I said I'll yeah. I'll throw that out there and see if that's what you're getting at. That, that's exactly what I'm getting at. That the whole aspect we have the same capacity that women have, especially the ones who are doing all of this great success now that we're seeing all around us. But if there is group pressure and group think that that is what you would call immature, that we don't, you know, we tend to be creatures of group now. We we do. And how group goes, we tend to go into that too. And then if it's celebrated by our celebrities, we then we really double down on it. So this whole capacity, this this possibility that we have collectively remains on the shelf because we're constantly drawing in on those immature parts of ourselves at a moment, and this is the, the real key part as far as I'm concerned, at a moment when humanity needs us to become our greatest selves, we're drilling down on the immature part. And that's the stuff that that is not, I'll just say this, this is just one man's position. Whatever that is, it is not masculine. It may be uh, life destructive. It may be uh, corrosive, dangerous, all of those things, but it is not masculine. But we have, we've seen other examples of what masculine has been, but the dominant one is the one that is immature. So we, we just kind of gravitate to that. We say, oh, that must be it. And then we, we reduce anything that is not that. So we'll talk about them, we'll demean them. But I, I used to do a class uh, a home, at a homeless shelter. I spent 12 years working at a homeless shelter. So I've seen every aspect of humanity you can think of. And I, this is the thing that used to happen all the time. People would come into the class, it'd be packed. And I do this thing where I talk about their value and their worth and their meaning and all of these things. And it took a minute, maybe a couple of weeks of me doing the class with them. And then the people who were in the back, who used to sit back and kind of talk about it, like, I don't even know why I'm in this class, blah, blah, blah. They moved up to the front and then they started taking notes. And so when another group would sit in the back and start talking crazy, like, oh, they would turn around and tell the mother folks, y'all need to be quiet. We're trying to get ours. And they were basically getting the information about their empowerment, uh, creating vision, seeing themselves from a higher place. And then the class started regulating itself. It didn't need me to kind of tell the guys in the quiet to be back because the guys in the front, this is men and women, they told the people in the back, y'all need to be quiet because we're doing this. And that was the most beautiful part about the whole thing is that it became a sacred space and a safe space for people to finally go into some places that they usually wouldn't, you know, especially with the people in the back. But it takes a minute for people to get there. So that's what I'm really, I'm really desiring is that for us to create these kinds of spaces where these young men are able to have these vision parties and leave that immaturity part. Just put it on the shelf. If they, they don't have to like, oh, I'm going to squash that. Just put it on the shelf for a hot minute 
and then be in this place and say, is there more to me? And I can absolutely guarantee you, yes, there is. You just have it. It's just atrophied. But just like any other muscle, if you develop it, you work it out, you go to the gym on the regular, you get it the right nutrients, it too can be part of your, your empowerment, your strength. So that's, that's really part of, really, that's a, that's a big push in my futurist perspective is to help people to see the unseen because there are other things that are right in front of us, but we can't see them because the immaturity is blinding us to those possibilities and those options. So we end up going into these really crazy dark places. So this was a, this is a pretty good conversation. I really enjoyed this one. And there's some more things that I love to dive into mm-hmm. or th- more things that you said that I like to unpack and have like deeper discussion about, but we are short on time. Sure. And so just to give the listeners some more information, if they like to find you or check out any of your content, where could they go? Absolutely. Uh, there are two places where you can go, chetsisk.com, that's C-H-E-T-S-I-S-K.com. Or if you type in universalbasicresources.com, I'm there too. Myself and my colleagues do this program called Universal uh, UBR Masterclass. And basically, it's just a support system. It's a video support system, short five-minute videos that talk about you know, your health and well-being, uh, you know, vision, leadership, what's happening in the world so that it so that you're not left out of the loop. My concern is that all of these changes are happening and we are not really aware, particularly young men are not aware of all of these things. So we try to condense that into a really small space. We don't dwell on the negative. We just talk about the possibilities of this moment. And so it's a it's a it's a it's a counseling class, really. And so even if you want to do it on the low, you don't have to tell anybody. All you got to do is uh, check in and say, I want to sign up for this and uh, get my monthly dose of this level of consultation, particularly the part of uh, health and well-being, because a lot of our, our habits, our health habits are not good and they are affecting our cognitive ability to understand. And so health and well-being is key. Leadership, I, I tell my part when it comes to just vision and, uh, you know, seeing a, a new way forward. So, yes, chetsisk.com and universalbasicresources.com. All right, got it. Well, hey, Chet, thank you for coming on to the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much, Kamani. I appreciate you, and I'm sending you positive energy for to continue to be the light and the beacon out there, or one of the lights and the beacon in a world that needs it. We need to light a candle in a world of darkness. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate it. All right, then take care. All right. Thank you, sir.